This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Hey guys, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined, I would say, by fashion icon. I don't know how else people would like to refer to you, but I say fashion icon, Mark Bauer. How are you? Hi, David, and I'll take that. Thank you. How's that for your introduction today? I'm fucking icon. Jeez, I feel like I've arrived. Fashionably late, but I've arrived. You're here now. So how are you? What's going on? How is your quarantine? Quarantining has actually been pretty great because I've had so much time to myself, which I never do. So I've been doing a lot of paintings. I went to art school. I originally was going to uh, you know, get into the art world, uh, but I got sidelined by winning the South African Vogue Young Designers Award when I was very young, 17 years old. But anyway, going back to my quarantining, um, been painting a lot of pictures, um, painting uh, pastels, um, watercolor, acrylics, giant canvases, you know, all, yeah, all kinds of stuff like that. Usually faces and some abstract stuff too. Wow. And hopefully exhibit at the end of the, all of this. Really? That's, have you not painted in like years and years? Yeah, every now and then I, I paint. I really, really do love to paint. I find it very soothing and cathartic. But because I'm so caught up in the world of fashion, I get very little time to do that. And when I, I, I do have a, a little time of my own, I just want to like chill with my dog and just do nothing or catch up on some shows that I you know, want to watch. What shows do you like to watch? <gasps> oh my goodness, gosh. That, let me think of some of the best ones I've seen lately. Okay. Um, Mrs. America with Kate Blanchett was incredible. Really? There is a, well, that's, that's a you know, historically accurate, true story about women's rights that is absolutely fascinating. And the casting is incredible because when you Google the real people and the, the people that they cast, they look very, very much uncannily, the resemblance is just uncanny. And it's a very well-written, well-researched show, uh, very enjoyable and also very, very enlightening. And then some, some, just some fun stuff. There's a, um, an incredible historical show, which is loosely based on history, um, about Catherine the Great, and it's called The Great. And it's one of the best written shows I think I've ever seen, ever. This really? Is really? Yeah, it's so funny and so n nasty and dirty and sexy and 
um, touching and it's just it's a fabulous watch. I like that. I need a good show. I watch lots of reality TV and I haven't watched a scripted show yeah. that I've liked in a long time. So you're originally from South Africa. Yes, I was born in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I grew up in Cape Town and then I went back to uh, Johannesburg to finish my, my high school. So growing up, it wasn't like you were, like to your point you just made, like it wasn't like fashion right from the beginning? No, no, not at all. It was animals, animals everywhere. I loved animals and I'm still very, very passionate about animals. But, you know, I lived in a very sort of middle-class suburban environment, very religious parents of Jehovah's Witnesses. And, you know, I grew up like that. You know, every time there was a thunderstorm, I thought Armageddon was coming. So it was, it was, it was a tough childhood. But finally, when I, I was able to break free of the hold of the Jehovah's Witnesses, I became atheist and uh, my life just totally became much more relaxed and easy, easier to live. Were you like, you know, like having like issues with your sexuality when you were young and, you know, like growing up in that environment? Yeah, well, I, I didn't know what gay was when I was growing up. I knew I had these feelings for men, but I wasn't sure what exactly what was going on. And, and I liked women's clothes. I didn't like to wear them, but I liked to touch them and feel them. I did try them on because I wanted to understand them. Um, but I didn't have this feeling that I wanted to, you know, change to another sex. I wanted to be a, a man, you know, even though I looked pretty and I looked like a girl. Everyone said, oh, you should have been a girl. You should have been a girl. But, you know, and I grew up like that. And my voice didn't break till I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. So I had this very high-pitched voice. And I was very thin and blonde and pretty. And I was always called a girl in, you know, in front of my parents. And people would be really nasty and, you know, say, hey, pufta or... Um, queer and, and you know I, I was so hard for me as a kid because it was just, I was so embarrassed in front of my parents and in front of my other friends so I would like butch up and try to walk tough and hold my hands and fists and and I, that slowly became just me because I just butched myself up because I didn't want to be identified as a girl as a kid even though I love girls things but I didn't want that proof to you know queer thing attached to me because I didn't know what that was I thought it was a bad thing because my parents' world of Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, men lying with other men was a, a, a huge sin and I was going to hell. I was going to burn in hell when Armageddon came. So that was the path that I was on until I, I finally figured things out. Wow. And what did your parents say when this happened? They just ignored it and pretend people weren't saying this, like easier to sweep it under the rug? Well, my parents, um, my, my mother is, her parents are British and my father's, parents are Danish so they didn't really talk about anything below the belt so as long as you didn't discuss it, it was okay and you didn't act on it but I never ever said to them I was gay I, I finally you know came out to them as being as gay years later when I went back to South Africa and I, when I had already achieved some sort of fame over here um, you know and I didn't really care what they thought by then so and I, I took my boyfriend that I was living with at the time with me to South Africa so they, they figured it out that's a good indication, usually. Yeah. So how did you, so go from there to like, how did fashion come about? Like, well, I went to um, design school in, in South Africa. I went into the military because, you know, with there it was uh, compulsory. And um, I was unable to hack it because I was just too frail and it just wasn't my thing. And so I was finally, after being, in a military hospital in a psychiatric ward because they didn't know what 
to do with me because I told him I was gay and uh, I didn't use the word gay, I used homosexual because I didn't know really what gay was. But so then they put me in a psych ward with people who had serious mental problems. You know, and my, you know, I was just wasting away and I was gay. But, um, but eventually I was let out and I wanted to go study drama and um, acting, dancing and all that kind of stuff. And my parents were just not into it at all. But they knew that I was good at making clothes and that I liked making things for dolls and my friends. They said, why don't you go study fashion? There's this you know, design college there. It's already started, but they will take you on. And, and, and I went in the middle of the, of the, uh, the course, the, I entered the South African Vogue Young Designers Award. And you know, my teacher told me to enter in people. I wasn't too excited about it. But when I saw what I had done coming down the runway, it was the first time that it kind of hit me that this is something I could actually do. And I thought, wow, in comparison to everything else that's shown, I'm, I think mine's pretty good. So I thought, okay, you're not wasting your time. You can actually do this. And then having won that competition, I mean, that small world of, of celebrities in South Africa, um, I was able to dress a lot of them. And um, that sort of catapulted me to like the top of South African fashion very quickly. And then the country was a lot of changes were happening. It was the end of apartheid and the, it was a lot of turmoil in the country. And I didn't know what future there was for myself there. And I also, you know, had such a terrible experience in the military and my upbringing in this, in a very religious environment, I really wanted to get the hell out of South Africa. So. Um, I finally had the chance. Uh, I left with a friend of mine who came second in the Miss Universe contest. And she, part of her prize was to come to New York for two weeks and stay in a hotel and do some fashion shoots. And so I came with her and then uh, I never left. It's usually a lot of people's stories when they come to New York. Were you shocked like when you won this award, like not even saying you wanted to do fashion, like there you were and you won? Was that like a big deal to you? You know, I was very excited to win that competition, um, but I kind of saw it as a stepping stone to get out of South Africa. And if I wanted to do this really properly, I'd have to do it in one of the fashion capitals of the world. And I, I had been to um, Paris, I've been to Milan, I've been to England. Um, I'd never been to America, I'd never been to New York. I was in love with Hollywood because that's all the escapism that I had as a kid was movies and books about movies and, you know, books about interesting things that I love. But that was, that was my life. So I wanted to come to Hollywood, but I thought Hollywood was right next to New York. I had no idea. I was so like, you know, I clueless about America. I didn't realize that it was on the other side of the continent. But I came to New York knowing that it was, a, it was the fashion capital, uh, one of the fashion capitals of the world. And I knew that I'd have to find work. And I uh, looked up my favorite designer, which was Halston, in the Yellow Pages. And because, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then or the internet. And I went up to his uh, um, fabulous studios and Olympic Towers on Fifth Avenue. And I went to the secretary and said, that you know, could I uh, leave my portfolio there for them to look at? She kind of looked at me and laughed at me. And, like, and I guess I looked so pathetic. She said, oh, okay, just leave it here. Come pick it up at the end of the day. And I came to pick it up at the end of the day, not expecting anything. And uh, she said, oh, Halston wants to see you. I was like, whoa. I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, 
I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority. And I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. So she took me through to his office and there he was and he blacked her leg and the Ray-Bans and the slicked back hair and he was paging through my portfolio. And I sat down, I didn't say he said sit down, I just sat there and he kept paging backwards and forwards to the portfolio and then he took off his glasses and he said, I think you got something, kid. And he gave me a job. And it was my first job in America and he was, I was draping for him. And um, I worked for him uh, for quite a while. And then I was able, things started happening for him that was kind of downhill. His career was on a sort of downward spiral, unfortunately. But I, once I had his name on my resume, I was able to get other jobs with other designers. And then eventually um, I was backed by a bunch of people who uh, put me on the, the track to starting my own brand. How much, like how long from the time you got here to the time you got the job with Halston? Like, what was that? Like a week, seven weeks? Uh, no, it was about probably uh, eight to 10 weeks. Yeah, it's I was not... very fortunate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's... I mean, I, I, I had to get a job because I, I completely ran out of money and I was living on yogurt and potato chips. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, that was my life, <laughs> yogurt and potato chips. Totally. Were you like socially when you got here, were you just like, oh my God, like I am home. These are my people. You know, I knew nobody. Um, I, I, I was sort of friendly with a, a hairstylist um, who did my mother's hair in South Africa years ago and he had set up his own business here. So I had, that was my connection. And through him, being with him and doing fashion shoots with him, I met models and other and people who would like my clothes and became clients. Um, but otherwise, I was just so happy to walk up and down Fifth Avenue and Madison Avenue and look at the store windows and just like, just, I cannot believe that I'm in this wonderland of fashion. It was just so exciting for me. Was, was Halston like your main person that you kind of considered like an idol or, you know, like someone you go to, like who yeah. were your other influences in fashion or was Halston? Um, you know, I admire any designer who's made a mark in fashion history because there's so many different ideas 
and and uh, you know fashion is, is so multifaceted. There are certain designers that I love. As a kid, I loved Terry Mugler. I wanted all women to look like Terry Mugler, like you know warriors with pointed breasts and big shoulders and tight weights and fabulous hairdos and giant earrings. But I realized that a lot of women that you know didn't really look like warriors. So um, I had to sort of tone it down. But I loved Holson. I loved the draping, and I had done a lot of draping um, when I was a kid, and I didn't really know who Halston was, but I sort of identified with him when I saw his stuff. And I think that's what he saw in my portfolio. And um, yeah, so I, it was the, the mixture of the hard and the strong, the warrior-like, the tough, you know, empowered woman, and then the soft drapes sort of Grecian beauty. And I think that's, I've retained that throughout my career as you know, the focal, the starting point of, of my fashion. Wow. And so then, so now, I mean, when you got your own line, like that's kind of where it led, like what was your, like what was that like? Like was that like now a struggle in the beginning? Did things kind of come together right away? Um, you know, it was a slow process, but I was, um, my very first fashion show in New York was at a, a nightclub called the Red Parrot, which is the big nightclub you're too young to remember, but I was very young too. I was think I was, what, was 20, 20 years old. Um, and I got a, a rave review in the New York Times the next day. I, and I, I mean, it was so unexpected. It was just this rave review. And then everyone was like, oh my God, a star is born, you know, overnight success and all that. I didn't really know what was happening to me. But once I had that review in the New York Times, I mean, I, a lot of celebrities came looking for me. And, um, one of my first, very first celebrities ever that I dressed, she's still one of my dearest friends today, was Morgan Fairchild. Do you, then if you remember her. I, I know who she is, and I saw her on your Instagram, and I, she was on my list of people to ask you about. Oh, I mean, she is just such a beautiful person, and she, I mean, at that time, was one of the greatest beauties in the world. It was right before Madonna happened, and she was like the, it, the sex symbol of the world. And she found my clothes, and, and she asked me to do a series that she was doing on ABC called Paper Dolls. So I did the clothes for that. Did a whole bunch of stuff for her. And then um, somebody said, oh, we're doing, we're shooting a commercial with Whitney Houston. It's a, a Coke commercial. We're looking for a little black dress. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So they came up and they said, oh, you know, we really like the whole collection. Can we show it to Whitney? I'm like, okay, sure. Just bring it back, you know, the next day. And the next day came and the next day came and I'm like, where's, the, where's my collection? Where is it? Where's my, I need the collection. They're like, oh, Whitney loves the whole collection. She wants everything. It's like, oh, Oh my God, whoa, whoa. Anyway, so that was my entree into, into Whitney. And then, I mean, that just, I mean, just went on and on and on pretty much throughout her whole career. So was Morgan Fairchild like your first celebrity? My first really huge celebrity, yeah. You know, I, there were pl plenty of others, but she was like the first really huge one. And then, and then Whitney, of course. Yeah. So what was, were you like dying when they were like, Whitney wants her whole collection? Yeah, I mean, that was like, I mean, it was insane to have done a collection and then one you know, incredible artist that I loved. She wasn't that, you know, she was on the cusp of becoming really famous then. Um, but everyone was talking about her. She was famous enough to get a Diet Coke commercial. Um, yeah, I mean, it was incredible to have her take the whole collection. What was Whitney like, like personally? Whoa, well, we need to write the book about that one. Um, um, gosh, 
I, it's very hard to put that in a few sentences. I say she was a very complicated, um, tough, tough woman who I loved very much, but I was very afraid of her because I was, she was the first like mega diva that I dressed. And she acted like that, you know, she, like Morgan, who was this huge sex in the world was like totally down to earth and like just a normal, you know, sweet, kind human being. Whitney was a real, like she was tough and strong and, you know, she kind of at times would speak down to me, you know, which was very sort of intimidating and hurtful. But there were other times where she was really fun and sweet and kind and would say really nice things. But regardless of, you know, the love, hate, whatever went on throughout the years, she loved my clothes and couldn't stop wearing them. So, and even when, you know, she's kind of left my world and went on to Dolce Gabbana and stuff like that, she came back to me afterwards. So, but when she went on to Dolce Gabbana, I had Tony Braxton, who was like a huge star. So, you know, I did, Tons of work with Tony Braxton. Were you afraid of Whitney? Like when the phone would ring, were you like, oh my God? Well, can I tell you that I, I only spoke to Whitney on the phone one time in my life. I had obviously many meetings with Whitney and fittings and, and adventures and stuff like that. But I remember it was after the Dolce Gabbana period and things were sort of, you know, kind of going away. Um, one of the uh, interns that were working for me said, oh, there's a phone call for you. Um, it's Whitney Houston. I said, oh, girl, please. It's not Whitney Houston. She no, she said, it's, it's Whitney Houston. I'm like, no, girl. So it's I'm like, she said, hey, Mark, it's Whitney. I'm like, what? She told me she was doing a Christmas commercial and she wanted me to do all the clothes for the Christmas commercial and she was doing this, she was doing that, she had a new album coming out. And we had this really great conversation on the phone. And it was the first time that I really connected with her as a friend. Because I always felt like I was working for her. You know, I was doing the work for her, which was great because I got paid for it. Which nowadays, you know, a lot of people, celebrities just don't pay for their clothes. It's all about, you know, who you dress and you don't get paid for it and you become famous, but you're poor in, in, in the meantime. But she did pay for all her clothes. So, you know, and I was, do I, so I just, you know, you know, bit my lip and did it. Um, so I'm sorry, what was the question again? I sort of went off track. Just, no, that's, listen, these are all very interesting stories. Just kind of like, you know, like a story about Whitney we don't know, or like, was she mean? Like when you, or did you, like, did you fear her? Because I don't see that I, as like the designer. Yeah, I, I can't say I, I feared her, but I was intimidated by her. Also, you know, I started dressing Whitney when I was very young and it, you know, I was really intimidated by stardom then. Now it's like, I don't, you know, it's like whatever. I've worked with so many, I don't mean it's not blasé, but it doesn't, it, it's still great, but I'm not intimidated because I feel I have my own stuff that I bring to the table. But at that stage, I felt so grateful that, you know, even though my stuff, she loved the stuff and it was good enough for her, I was intimidated by her. And she was very, she was a very forceful presence. I mean, being in her, when she was in the room, I mean, she was in the room, you know, and she didn't like something, you know, she would snap at you and she would never caress anything. But there were times where she could be really fun and very funny and, and cute and loving, but most of the time she was tough. But she always loved my clothes. I never, never really found much wrong with them. 
it was just the way she um, sort of, you know, presented herself at, you know, at the moment, so. And she paid, to your point, so. She paid, amen, yeah. Is, is that how it works in fashion? Like when someone like, you know, is with a designer like you and then like moves on to like Dolce Gabbana, like is that just normal? Like this is how it works? Or is there then like, not even with you, but just in mo with most designers, like is there animosity? Is there like, oh my God, this person moved on? What's that all about? Or does everyone well, just treat it like a business? Certain designers have an affiliation with certain movie stars or, you know, uh, pop stars, or whatever you want to call them, entertainers. You know, and I, I've had my ins and outs with a lot of them. I did seven videos with Shania Twain, two of her most iconic. I did the, the leopard look, you know, that don't impress me much. I did Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Um, and, you know, that was, that was all pretty much my idea, the Man, I Feel Like a Woman thing. I, I even remember going to a household woman, putting on a boombox and sort of lip syncing the song to her, showing how I wanted her to use the microphone, swinging it. I said, you think of yourself as a, as a female Elvis you do the thing with the microphone and she did it in the video. So, so I styled seven of her most famous videos and I did many tours and many um, awards terminies with Shania. I did two Vegas shows. I did her first big Vegas show and I just did the second one, which unfortunately is on hiatus because of the COVID. Um, you know, I did tons of stuff with Tony. I still do stuff with Tony and Whitney, you know, right up until her, her death. Um, I work with her on and off. And, and Beyonce, and every now and then I do something with Beyonce. I did the video, um, I was here, the humanitarian that was shot at the UN um, headquarters. And I've done award ceremonies with her and tours. And so it's kind of, you kind of bounce around between them and they, they always come back to you, the ones that you have good relationships with. But you know, there's so much fashion out there. You can't blame them for wanting to try something else, going in this direction but they usually all, all come back. I very seldom lose somebody. So. That's, that's good. What is Beyonce like? Oh, Beyonce is amazing. I, I cannot say enough nice things about Beyonce. She is down to earth. She is kind. Um, she is very, um, she's very appreciative. And she really, understands what she wants, but will take ideas from you as well. She's just very kind, a very, I really think Beyonce is just one of the nicest stars out there. Is there something about her that you think, like tell me something about her that the average person wouldn't know? Oh my gosh, well that would be telling, wouldn't it? You have to wait well, for the book. <laughs> I mean, yes, I mean, you do need to write a book. I can't, there's, no, I, there's nothing negative I could say about Beyonce, um, she, she's just great and I'm so appreciative and grateful that I have worked with her and continue to work with her. Um, just that she's a really wonderful person in reality and she's a very like statuesque, she's, you know, I, I can't say that when she walks in the room you're intimidated because she's just so nice. Um, but when you see her in the clothes, she takes on that the statue of Beyonce. She 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 is that, and it's it's brilliant. How how would you describe your brand, like the Mark Bauer brand, like the style? Like how would you sum it up? You know, I think that the clothes are um, very modern, but they have a feel of the old Hollywood glamour, a little bit of sci-fi thrown in sexy they're they're feminine but they're for an empowered woman they're a little i think they're kind of timeless in a way 
I, I think that they are clothes that make women feel strong and they, they just feel beautiful in them. And there's something about putting on the right garment for men or for women that can just change your whole mood. And I, I've noticed that when people put on my clothes, if they do, if, they, if it's something that they like, they totally just change. That makes I mean, sense. On videos with Shania, would, you know, she'd come in to the fitting in a baggy sweatshirt and, you know, sort of ill-fitting jeans and, um, you know, loafers, whatever, and a baseball cap on and a hair and a ponytail. And then, she, you know, we do the fitting, she'd put on the dress, and then all of a sudden, Eileen, which is her real name, would suddenly become Shania. And all of a sudden, and the smile and the eyes, and it's, all, it's like magic. It's just like, you know, but this is the power of clothing on a, on a great star. This is, it's all, all these things that bring it all together that create this beautiful thing that happens. That makes sense. Do you, I mean, this might be a strange question, but like, do you care about like your own style for yourself? Cause like a lot of designers in what, from what I see, you know, don't, I mean, they're great designers, but then they just wear like a t-shirt and like jeans all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, do you put thought into like your own style? I love to dress up and Halloween is my favorite holiday. The only thing is that I get so caught up in creating stuff for other people and it's all this, this, this sparkle and shine and stuff around me that I get consumed by it. So when I do have time for myself, I kind of just want to go shopping and buy something. But the, you know, I have definitely created a lot of things for myself in my career. And when I have the time, have the time to do it, I love dressing up and I love, I love the whole movement in, in fashion with men right now, this whole fluid movement where guys are wearing makeup and, and the hairstyles and you know, the gender bending fashions. I love that. And I, I wish that I had done more of that um, when I had been on the red carpet myself, but I was always a little afraid of that just because of my upbringing and that. But I'm definitely now, you know, we've gone through this COVID period <laughs> that I'm definitely gonna, I'm gonna change that. And, dress more wild what men i mean because i love the whole gender bending like i love a man in a skirt that's just me yeah, but like what men now do you think are just killing it on the red carpet like in in a good way oh my god cody redfern um you know from the um johnny versace story the, the american Bar horror story yeah cody fern oh my god there's another one he was in that movie with his name <laughs> I can't think of his name uh, we have to talk about Kevin I can't remember his name but he's always in these really gender bending clothes on the on the red carpet um, but he, he's in that movie with Tilda Swinton it's called we have to talk about Kevin he plays the, the monster child in that um, I, I, yeah, I think it's Ezra Smith right of course yeah that's it yeah I love his style yeah. And I also think that um, Harry Styles, is, it, yeah, I love the way he, he wears clothes. I think he's just great. The hair, everything, the makeup and the painted nails. I think it's great that guys are just absorbing women's fashion as well. Fashion should not be denominational or, or sexualized. It should just be for everybody. Whether it's a long gown or a skirt or a men's, you know, tailored tuxedo, anybody should be able to wear it. Anybody. I would agree. What about like a Billy Porter? I love Billy. Billy's actually a friend of mine. And uh, we want to do something together. <laughs> but 
he is so sought after by so many designers throughout the world that he, you know, he's been booked up for so many different things. And then, of course, with COVID, things just came to a halt. But we had already, you know, started to talk about doing something. What men do you think could use some help in the fashion <laughs> department? A lot of them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I don't want to point fingers, but, you know, I, I just wish that guys straight or gay would just be more adventurous in their clothing. And you know, even the ones that are kind of messy on the red carpet, but they're, at least they're trying something different. They're, they're not just being that boring, you know, penguin black and white suit that you just see all the time in all award shows. You know, and they say, oh, who was best dressed? But they all look the same, unless it is a Cody Redfern or an Ezra, um, Ezra Smith. Yeah. Yeah, one of those guys who are breaking the mold and are really, you know, dressing out of the box, which I love. Do you have an award show that you, like, enjoy dressing more than others to that point? Well, the Oscars is the, always the most exciting, but it's the most nail-biting. I mean, I remember when I went down to fit Angelina Jolie for the Oscars, I think it was 2007, I'm not I had shown that collection. Um, it's called the Red Carpet Collection, ironically. And her stylist called a few days after the, the uh, pictures appeared online and said that Angelina was looking for a dress for the Oscars that she liked. There were three dresses of mine that she liked. Could we send them down to her? And we were like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, not thinking too much about it because, you know, we get a lot of calls from celebrities and a lot of it doesn't pan out. Some of it does. So you don't get your hopes up. And then a few weeks before the Oscars, Jen Raid, her stylist, called and said, hey, you guys going to be out in L.A. because, you know, we'd love to do a fitting. Angelina's kind of narrowed it down to two of your dresses. I was like, wow, seriously? So we weren't planning on going to L.A., but I was like, I'm, i got to go fit Angelina Jolie. So we were having a rough time financially at the time, and we lost one of our really big accounts, and it was, it was kind of a big gaping hole in the bank account there. But we maxed out our credit cards, and we went... Uh, down to LA and we took the dress and fitted her and there was some minor alterations. And I remember she was shooting Mr. and Mrs. Smith at the time and they'd rented this huge rambling house for her in, in, uh, in uh, Beverly Hills somewhere. And it was a terrible thunderstorm and it's very unusual that it rained in LA, especially at that time. They hadn't had, they were in the middle of a huge drought. This is an incredible thunderstorm as lightning and the house it was a very old house very glamorous house but it was this it was leaking so the water was coming down the ceiling and uh, Maddox was very young at that time and was having a really hard time with the thunder so he came screaming and Angelina had the white dress on and she picked him up and she put him on her hip and she was kind of like you know chewing shushing him backwards and forwards it was really really sweet and I was kind of trying to pin the dress at the same time Talk about down to earth, amazing. There were no publicists around. There was no assistance. It was just Angelina, uh, one or two of her friends who stylists. They had a very expensive necklace that they were thinking of wearing with the dress, so they had a bodyguard for the, you know, for the jewelry. Um, and there's myself and my business partner, and that's it. And we, you know, we did the final fitting, and she looked at herself in the mirror, and she looked at everyone, and she said, "Is is this it?" And be like, yes, yes, yes. You should, guys, I think this is it. And that was it. And I mean, of course, we all started crying because it was like such an incredible moment. Even the, even the bodyguard of the show was like, oh my God, man, I'm good. Like, 
<laughs> but anyway, so, but then we couldn't afford to stay in the hotel because we were staying at the peninsula and it was very expensive. So we like did all alterations, the dress was fine and we left, we went back to New York. And then right before the awards, we were watching the, um, you know, the pre-show and we didn't see her and we didn't see her. And I got a call from the seamstress who'd done the alterations and she said, Mark, darling, she's in your dress. <laughs> she was a granny and she had some fabulous accent. And but we looked and we looked and we waited and we didn't see her. It was literally like the last minute. Um, it was Billy Bush was interviewing people on the red carpet and she suddenly came on and he went, wow, 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 what, what, whoa, whoa, tell me about this. And she's like, what, 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 the dress? And before I could say a thing, she said, it's Mark Bauer. And this is you know, on national television all over the world. And it was like a moment like I've never, ever had. Because she was, you know, still is one of the hottest stars in the world. But at that point, it was when the kind of the bad Angelina was changing over to this incredible, you know, loving Mother Earth person who cared about the world. And we learned for the first time. And suddenly, <clears throat> you saw her as this angelic angel, this person who really cared about humanity. And there she was in this white dress. And it was just the perfect moment, the perfect dress at the perfect time. Did you start crying? It was very, very emotional. But it was like, it's the most anxiety I've ever had waiting for a celebrity to wear a dress that I've ever experienced. And I, it, it's not something that I like to go through, but you know, when you do things like the Oscars and these big award shows, you never know if they're actually gonna wear the dress or not, no matter how many fittings you've done with them and what they say, you know, often you're let down and they wear someone else's dress, but this time it really worked out. That was gonna be my next question, like where you're just like waiting to see your dress and you'd never see it. Yeah, it's a roulette wheel. And you know, when you, when you are like, Angelina Jolie, Beyonce, um, Emily Blunt, another one who I worked with a lot and I absolutely adore. You, every designer in the world wants to dress you. So you get the best of the best and you, that rack of clothes that the stylist has, is just, it's beyond any, anything. So just to be in that mix is incredible. Especially me, the little, you know, feminine kid from South Africa. Um, to, to be in that mix with these really major designers, it's, it's great. It's really, and you, you know, sometimes you have to take a step backwards and say, look, look what, where I came from and look what I've achieved, even though sometimes they don't wear the dress, but sometimes they do. And then in that case, eventually, yeah. Like, do you still have those out of body experiences? Like where you're just like, what? Like I'm dressing Beyonce and tomorrow I'm speaking to Angelina Jolie. And I mean, I know they're all just real people. I get it. But, do you ever yeah, have no, that moment? Yeah, and that, I don't think, I hope that never leaves me because, I mean, that's why I do what I do because I love dressing those beautiful, iconic women. Um, that, you know, that's, it's, it's a major achievement for me and it really, it, it's, it, it's a spine tingling moment to see those, the people of that caliber and that talent that are so famous to wear your clothes, it, it really makes you feel pretty incredible. Who do you think are some of like the best dressed women today? Like we kind of cover the men. You know, I think it's kind of whoever is the, the girl du jour, the woman du jour, but um, you know, I think most of them dress pretty well. I, you know, I, 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 I like people that also dress out of the box and sometimes, you know, 
they may get bad press for it, but at least it's not boring. I'm so sick of just a tight strapless dress or a big ball gown, you know, or a slip dress. It's just, I, I want something different. Let's get, do, let's do a big shoulder. Let's do asymmetric. Let's do a giant, gigantic bow. Let's do tons of ruffles, you know, or lots of fringe, or, but do it well, you know, all, all these things can be, can be done well. I also do love very uh, simplistic, um, clinical clothes that have very clean lines. I think that's extremely hard to do well. And it, one of uh, Angelina's dress that she wore to the Oscars was that kind of dress, very minimal. And I think m minimal clothes are very hard to do because they can look very sloppy and very kind of throw away very quickly. But if they're cut really well and defined really well, they can be very memorable. Who would you like to get your hands on, male and female, that like you haven't dressed? yet you know i love all the up-and-coming ones the, the, the new stars i like to get them right before they you know explode um there's you know many of them i it's too many to mention but i like the, the up-and-coming ones the, the new ones I always keep my eye out you know for the new girls and these is, guys is there anyone that you worked with that was up and coming that was a complete pleasure and then they broke into becoming the next Angelina or the next Beyonce, and you're like, I have seen this person change within a well, month. I mean, you know, I dressed Beyonce when she was part of um, the the girl group. The, what was it? Destiny's, Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child. Oh, yeah. There was a, a starting to hit. And I, when, and I dressed Rihanna too when she was right at the beginning of her career. And so I, but going back to Beyonce, you know, that was just a small girl group in the beginning that suddenly exploded and then Beyonce went on, on her own. So I've seen her grow from this, just this budding star to become this, the biggest star in the world. So, and also with Shania Twain, you know, she, I didn't really know who she was in the beginning because she was a country star and I didn't really listen to much country music. And when they asked me to work with her, I, I was not really that enthused about working with her because I didn't really know who she was and you know, the whole country thing kind of was a little strange for me. But once I did start working with her and she let me do what I wanted to do, the first video I did with her was from this moment on when she comes down the staircase and she has the orchestra behind. And she really fought with me about the hair. She wanted this big sort of country hair with the curls. And I'm like, no, we need to do the hair pulled back, just tight, 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 shiny and tight. And she's like, no, 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 no. And then she had all these extensions put in. And I remember going into the trailer and seeing all this hair and I just kind of like folded my arms. And you know, at that stage, I didn't, I wasn't that, you know, whether I worked with her or not didn't really matter to me because I, you know, she was just on the, on the verge of becoming something. I didn't know how big she would become. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then she said, okay, well you do it. So I took the gel and I took all those curls and I pulled it back into a ponytail. We had a, a border there. The, uh, extension ponytail with me and she just kind of sat like this letting me do it and hey she let me do it so kudos to her and I remember putting that gold bindi that we glued with eyelash glue in the center of her eyebrows and when she saw herself on camera and in the you know the the, the first few takes I mean I could tell she liked what she saw and the director said to me like this is unbelievable she's never looked so beautiful and then I realized like this is a mega star in the making here. So. Wow. And she became one of the big, biggest selling female artists in the world. And, yeah. Uh, as you know, is an incredible performer.
Have you ever, and this is just my own lack of knowledge, have you ever dressed Madonna? I have never dressed Madonna. And I love Madonna. I grew up listening to Madonna. And, you know, often you'd meet celebrities and you'd be disappointed by them or they behave um, in a kind of, you know, nasty way. Or, and I, I never wanted to be disappointed by Madonna's style. I never really made any effort to dress her. I loved her style, but I had her on such a pedestal and she was absolutely my icon when I was growing up. And I first came to New York. And so I never really wanted to meet her and I never have. And I never, because she's, she's Madonna, you know, so. She's the icon, she's number one. And I just, I had to ask that. Have you ever dressed Cher? I don't think you did. I have not dressed Cher. No, no, I have not. I love Cher and I think she's incredible, um, but I've not had a, had a, I think, you know, Cher and Bob Mackie has such a relationship and Bob is a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, even when um, they did the Cher show on Broadway, one, the gr girl uh, who was playing her, they asked me to dress her for opening night and I refused. And I said, I, I really think, you know, you know, Bob should do it. So, um, wow. Because they had such a, I mean, that, you know, the, the association is so great. I didn't want to interfere with that. Completely. But I agree with you about Madonna. Let's just keep her on a pedestal. Um, yeah, she's there. That's it. How do you feel about, and I don't know if you feel anything about it, but how do you feel about like fashion police, like Joan Rivers, like who are you wearing? Like, Okay, so Joan and I were pretty, pretty friendly. We did QVC together for many years and I was on her show a couple of times and I love Joan and I know Melissa really well. So I, I, I love Joan and I really like Melissa a lot too. And so Joan was hysterically funny and... Um, it's a really nasty, really, really nasty, wonderful, funny things. And I'll always remember them. I mean, it is kind of, I mean, I attribute like, who are you wearing to her? I don't know where else you would attribute it. I think it's a little unfair to critique fashion in that way. I think Joan was really funny. And, you know, she may just like cover your mouth and just roll your eyes and laugh. So you cried. But it's unfair to critique fashion so, so in such a hard way because there are so many different ways of wearing things so many so many people have, have different tastes and body shapes so you know there's obviously things that are really outlandish and just so you know crazy that you i guess you, you can say ugly things about them but I, I choose not to because i think fashion is something to be explored and have fun with do you believe in that like what were they thinking like as a bad thing or are you just like I get what you were doing. Like, do you think people go out of their way also to have that moment of like, I'm going to arrive and my name is, you know, maybe towards the bottom of the marquee and I'll have my moment and this will be good press? Well, I think there are things called stunt dresses where you, good or bad, you're going to make a splash, you're going to get noticed, you're going to get your pictures everywhere. So there are certain people that are, want to own that moment or, uh, you know, don't have the fame yet, but need to be seen, need to be noticed, and those stunt dresses really work for them. But also, you know, there's a lot of people who say a lot of things when it comes to dressing a star, and sometimes too much is said, and uh, people are torn and pulled in too many directions. There, a lot of celebrities are paid now to wear clothes on the red carpet, and it's getting harder and harder to dress them, because I don't pay celebrities, I can't pay celebrities. And I also want them to wear my clothes because they want to wear them, not because they're being paid $300,000 to wear clothes on the red carpet, which is a lot of times you see kind of 
boring stuff from very, very big designers worn by very famous people. And you think, why all the world with all their money, all the fame, all their beauty, why are they wearing this dress? But you know, they're being paid to wear it. And you don't have to mention names. I mean, I would love for you to, but I don't think you're going to. But like, are there certain celebrities that have that reputation of like, she will only wear a dress if she's paid? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there are also celebrities who are on their way up who are becoming famous but don't have the money. I, I, I was a certain celebrity that I've dressed several times. Um, and I was hoping to dress up for this one award ceremony. And she said that uh, she had been offered a dress by another very, very big designer and that she was going to wear it. I was very disappointed and she knew that I was disappointed. And she privately told me that they were, she was being paid a lot of money and that's just something that she really needed and that she, you know, she was going to do it. And I didn't really blame her. So. And you don't want to tell us who any of those people are. Mm -hmm. Not today. <laughs> Not doing that. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't blame me for asking, though. Of course. We'll have to wait for the book. Fine. Um, how do you feel about Project Runway? So, okay, Project Runway, I was the original Michael Kors on Project Runway. I did the very first episode with Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum. Heidi Klum and I were very, very friendly. We did many things together. and. Heidi wore a dress of mine like David, David Letterman show with uh, completely open down the side with kind of chains that held it together. She just got on the cover of Sports Illustrated and that dress and that interview on David Letterman just kind of skyrocketed her. Um, but for some reasons that I won't get into, um, I was replaced with Michael Kors. <laughs> and um, yeah, Michael Kors made his career in being on Project Runway. But Heidi, did she did have me on as a guest judge uh, a few times, and I think you know it's it's a it's a fun show to watch. I don't know that it really makes major stars from it. I think you know very few people have been able to really take that win and make them themselves. You know, a real designer. I can probably name one. Which would be the same person I'm sure I'm thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> Christian Seriano. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That's the only real name that comes to the top of my head. So those shows are fun to watch, but I think winning them, it's, you know, I, I, I don't think it's that helpful sometimes. Oh, maybe they're just unable to take it and run with it and make it successful, you know? Being on a reality show um, can open many doors for you, but you have to know which ones to close as well, you know? And then there's just, for me, like certain names not even being in the industry, like Michael Costello, like who didn't even win, like there's just other names you hear more than actual winners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For yeah, Michael is an obvious fan of mine, because I've obviously seen a lot of things that resemble mine in those collections. <laughs> yeah, big fan, I would say. Really? Do you find that that happens a lot? Look, I think we all get inspiration from each other and you just can't help it sometimes. But when things are, you know, absolutely verbatim copies, sometimes in the same color. Um, you know, I, I, I've had other major designers 
people I mentioned that have had dresses on the red carpet worn by famous people that have looked pretty much exactly the same, you know, and Women's Are Daily has run stories about it. I mean, two major designers of Women's Are Daily has run stories about them getting major inspiration from things that I've done. But as I said, you know, we all get inspiration from each other, but when you do such a verbatim copy, I, I, I think it's very annoying to, to, to yourself. And I just think it doesn't, it's not good for the person that's doing it because it puts them in a very bad position. Yeah, like you'd almost know you're doing it and somewhere in the middle, stop. Yeah, or maybe, you know, a lot of you designers have other designers working for them and they may have come across, you know, someone else's dress online and thought, oh, nobody will know. And, you know, somehow or other it, uh, it appears and uh, it's exactly what you did. Pretty much so. Do you still, do you talk to Heidi Klum still today? Yeah, we just uh, uh, DM'd Heidi on Instagram the other day. Um, I think we did a throw, throwback to when we dressed her for Cannes Film Festival and she sent kisses and hugs and whatever. But, you know, I had a huge moment with Heidi and like I say, you know, she moved on to other things and I moved on to other things. Of course, you know, I would have loved to have been that judge on Project Warmer because it obviously made, you know, Michael Kors a billionaire, <laughs> which I can't say I am, but anyway, but I, I love Heidi and, um, and, you know, there are other things that uh, are more important to me. That's good to know. How do you feel about people who are not designers to begin with, but then come into the industry? Kind of like we have the role, like Mary-Kate and Ashley, I mean, I know that's been around forever, like Kanye West. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. I think, you know, I think if you've got a lot of money, you can surround yourself with, the, if you have good taste with the right people and you can create a, a really, really good cohesive collection if you listen to people who know what they're talking about. So I think that it is possible, but also, you know, just because you're famous at one thing doesn't mean that you can't be good at another thing. So I can't really say, you know, if so you're a good actress, you can't be a good designer. Yeah, I think you can do both, but not everyone, some of them. Do you know Kanye? Because like you've, you've dressed Kim before, right? I dressed him a couple of times and I like him a lot. Yeah. I have met Kanye once. I don't really have much, you know, anything to say about him or I think some of his uh, stuff that he puts out is kind of wacko and, um, you know, crazy and furious a lot of people, that's for sure. But I adore Kim, so. I would think the Kardashians are, is, is she the only Kardashian you've ever dressed? Mm. No, I've dressed Chloe a number of times. I love uh, Chloe. Um, yeah, Chloe and Chloe and Kim are the only two I've really dressed. Yeah. And there are two examples of just two people who have become larger than life. <laughs> In many ways, yes. <laughs> do, you, do you watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians? I don't watch it. I, I did in the beginning. You know, I tend to, when I leave my work behind, I tend to want to get into a fantasy world and watch uh, a show that's not reality because my life is such a reality show every day and I deal with these celebrities and I don't really want to watch them in their homes doing stuff. You know, I kind of would rather watch a really great dramatic film by a great director. I could see that. Well, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, is still a classic show. Let me tell you, it's really good. Oh, no, the bits and pieces that I've seen in my it's some of it's jaw-dropping and a lot of fun, for sure. So I can't, I can't denigrate it, for sure. It's just and me, what I no, like to watch. I get it. 
And you just dressed Sonia Morgan for the Real Housewives of New York yeah. reunion. For the reunion during COVID, that's crazy. Wow, that one will go down in history, I think. With like the mess, she, listen, and I'm not just saying this, she, her and Ramona were my best two dress. So I thought Sonia looked great. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Sonia looked amazing. I mean, whatever Sonia has done to herself, which we all know about in the last few months has really paid off. She looks absolutely sensational. The hair, the face, the skin, the neck. So look, Sonia's always had a great body and has always been a really good looking woman. Um, but I have to say she's really coming into her own. She's having a resurgence. She looks fantastic. And um, I'm so glad that she wore that dress. That dress was from a collection a few years ago and it never really had its moment. Um, but I loved that dress, so I sort of always kept it. And then when she wanted something for the reunion, I sent her a couple of pictures and that was the one that she, she chose a couple, but that was the one she eventually wore. And I was really, really happy that that dress finally got its moment. And you've had, like, you've had a long relationship with her. Yeah, I love Sonia. I, I met Sonia when she was just on board with the housewives as one of the new housewives. And I was introduced to her at a party and she was very engaging and she seemed interested in you and she asked you questions and she wanted to help you. She just seemed genuinely like a, like a nice person. And I, you know, I thought, oh, it was just because we had a party or whatever. But, you know, she texted me, we kept in touch and, you know, I dressed her for a couple of events and uh, she bought some dresses from me and you know, we eventually became pretty good friends. And I actually love being around Sonia. I think she's really, really fun and down to earth and kooky and crazy, but I, I adore her. She's I absolutely adore that woman. She is a lot of fun to go out with, and she, I, I would agree, she has a heart of gold. I would agree. She does, yeah. Have you worked with like other housewives, like Tinsley, like Lisa Vanderpump, I, I think? A lot of them. Um, I'm, I, I love the Wan. I'm pretty friendly with her. I don't really dress the Wan because she has her other stuff that, that, she, that she does. Um, but I'm very I'm friendly with her, and I love hanging out with her and, and uh, talking to her. Ramona, I've known for a long time, as long as I've known Sonia, really Ramona's a lot of fun. Um, I, I, she comes down every once in a while and gets a dress. Um, Dorinda, very friendly with Dorinda. Dorinda buys clothes for me and on a regular basis and I, I like her a lot. Um, Bethany, I've only met once or twice and I've never had any love from her. So I don't, you know, I, I can't really say anything about Bethany because I've never really had the opportunity to really chat with her. Uh, who else? Tinsley. From the New Jersey Housewives. Years ago, we, we became really friendly. Somebody introduced me to her and we just kind of hit it off. It was such a strange, you know, friendship, but it was really great. And I really liked her. So and we still, she still texts me every once in a while and uh, likes my pictures on Instagram. And Have you dressed Teresa for a lot of things? I, in, the, in the beginning, when I first met her, um, a, fr a, a really good friend of mine was very close to her and he persuaded me to dress her. But you know, she did become the, probably the most famous New Jersey housewife, one of the most famous housewives out there. And you know, Teresa really worked hard on her body. She exercised and she has a really tight body. She was easy to dress. And she's also very appreciative too, very sweet and very kind. So I can't, I have nothing negative to say about her at all. And do you feel, cause like you mentioned this earlier too, like do a lot of famous people try to get things for free in the fashion oh world? I, we have so many calls, well, not during COVID, but 
before all this happened. I mean, every day, emails, texts, phone calls, from you know, from from the, the total D listers to to A listers to you know, people you've never heard of wanting clothes for free. The wife of a, of a producer's son's girlfriend. You know, that's just super stuff like that. And you know, a lot of sometimes the more famous they are, the less they want to pay. You know. You know, I, I, I will say when, you know, Beyonce is doing something and it's going to cost a lot of money, Beyonce will pay, which is great. You know, and obviously Beyonce is one of the biggest stars in the world. You want to dress her. So it's going to do something for you. But a lot of people, a lot of famous celebrities do not want to pay. They won't even pay for the FedEx. So your FedEx bills are through the roof. And then, then the clothes will sit there sometimes for months and you won't get them back. It's, you're treated very disrespectfully by a lot of stylists. I don't think it's the celebrity's fault. Sometimes it is, but it's mostly the stylist's fault. It just things get lost along the way. Belts get lost. Um, you you've no idea how many times the wrong dresses have landed. Famous, world famous designers' clothes have come to me instead of, but then their labels are in the dress, or sometimes the labels are not. But you you're, you really are treated very disrespectfully out there by a lot of people in this business. And do you find like the reality stars want more things for free than the actual A-listers or? Well, I think everybody wants things for free. I think anybody who thinks they have some sort of fame wants things for free. Hey, I want things for free too. But I think clothes, if you're going to wear them, clothes get damaged when you wear them. You know, they smell, they get stuff on them. Your kids touch them with their dirty hands. You get, you know, perfume smell and whatever. They red carpet that rains to get schmutz on the train or whatever it is. Um, you know what that word schmutz means, right? <laughs> oh, I'm a nice Jewish boy, yes. I do know. <laughs> I do know. On the train, Jesus. Oh, anyway. That's I would find that would just be hard to keep track of where all the clothes are and, you know. It is. That is a job in itself and you've got to pay someone to do that. Um, you know, just to keep track of everything, where they are, especially when you're sending something to Europe. Sometimes they get stuck in customs, you never get them back. So it's tough. Other than like, I know you, some of the people you work with, like you mentioned Beyonce, like who else has just been like wonderful where like they will pay, they will be gracious, like anyone else stick out in your mind? Like, I mean, I know you mentioned Shania's um, great. Emily Blunt is one of my favorite people on the planet. I mean, she is just so wonderful, such a pleasure to work with. I cannot say enough nice things about her. I just adore her and she's great to dress. And she's, you know, she's a very respected style star. So when she does uh, choose to wear something of mine, I, you know, it's, I, I'm very honored by it. And of course you don't ask for money, you know, for those kinds of things. When, when it's such a huge star and you're gonna get the press out of it, you're gonna get the notoriety and you get the association yeah, that kind of thing you can't really put a price on. But you know, there have been major stars who have worn things to a private party and have altered it. And there's no photographers allowed. You know, and I had this issue with one very famous person and they, there was no press on it, there was nothing. And the dress was, was really altered. Um, she was pregnant at the time and we kept asking the stylist when is, because well, the pictures appeared everywhere. I don't know, she had her own private photographer and the pictures were appearing, but I got, I got absolutely no credit. So what's the point 
of dressing someone and then altering your dress. And it was a really fabulous dress. And it was now it was cut down to you know, whatever it was. Um, so it was kind of heartbreaking and there's no, so then you say, okay, well, if I'm not going to get the press, then, you know, cut me a check. The dress is worth X amount of money. I'll give you a discount for this, but you know, seeing that we got nothing out of it and the dress was altered, can I please have my money? And you don't get it, you know? No, don't you understand? Da, 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 da. And then, what? Yeah, I understand she wore the dress, she altered it, and I need to be paid for it because I didn't get anything out of it. Zilch, zero, nothing. So, and this happens over and over. So, we've wow. got very selective as who we dress now. You know, we have people that are blacklisted, stylists that are not allowed in the show. <laughs> This one we don't dress, this one doesn't pay, this one gets the clothes dirty, you know, it's a whole list. But we're very, very selective now. That's um, good. You gotta got really get something out of it or you gotta get money because, you know, it's very expensive to run my operation and I need money to pay my rent. Yeah, and do you- And dog, <laughs> and my husband, so. The husband could be expensive, right, the dog? You live in a good area of town. You live right near me. So, I mean, that's New York is not getting any cheaper. It's not. It, yeah, it really isn't. You have any so, like male money coming in, so it's, it's tight. Do you have any like male or female like contemporaries who you're like, I love that person, you know, just as far as like their fashion other than your own? Uh, you, you know, I love fashion so much and I appreciate it from all different aspects. I think there's so many different voices when it comes to fashion and as I said, body types. So I, when it's done well, it's done well and, and you have to like it, you know, even though it may not be your thing, but if you, if you understand fashion, you understand something good when you see it. And so what is going on with COVID in fashion? Well, nothing. I mean, the only thing that you can do right now is put some content out there. We've been shooting these short little videos um, where we, we put masks with the couture, we do these really fabulous masks with chains, hanging beads and stuff, because that's what's happening. And if you're gonna dress fabulously, you're gonna have to wear a mask, at least to get in and out of places. Um, I mean, you guys should be wearing a mask pretty much most of the time when you're out of your apartment, but that's what's happening. Beautiful decorative masks with clothes. But you know, when will there be events to go to? That's the thing. I know there's people having very small private events and very, very small little weddings where it's just family and very you know close friends. Um, but until the events are happening again, I'm going to be doing a close of like uh, the collection of leisure wear, like you know well-made leisure wear, like you know beautiful sweatshirts, turtlenecks for the winter, zipper cardigans, you know, simple pencil skirts or swing skirts, or, you know, leggings sweatpants in beautiful colors, clothes that people actually are gonna wear when they go shopping or they're meeting their, their friends on the roof for a drink. No one's really dressing up at all, only for fashion shoots, you know? And that's no, I, I would agree with that. And I don't even think it's because it's summer, because I mean, we're about to end summer soon and I don't see any difference. Yeah. Like and I. I really don't want to dress up. I, I love fashion and it's nice taking a break from it, but with what, what is going on in the world and how frightening it is. And also there's the political environment that, we, that we're in. It's so stressful. 
I don't feel like I want to put on something glitzy and glamorous right now and go somewhere. You know, I, I miss being with my friends, but hopefully we find a place outside to be together or on a roof somewhere. Um, and that's more important to me than actually impressing other people with what I'm wearing, which I like to do when everything's okay. But right now, it's just not important to me. Yeah, I get it. It's weird how quickly that shifted. I mean, this has been around for a minute, but like, I totally agree. I mean, I love to dress up myself, but now I'm just like, I have no interest. Yeah, and I think to embrace that moment and take what people want. I know good clients of mine, if I have those kind of clothes, they will come in and they will buy them because that's what they're wearing. Because people, my, my clients who come back to me really like my clothes. So if I can translate that into less dressy stuff, um, and I know I can because I've done many, many sportswear collections over the years, um, you know, at, a lot of them at a lower price point for QVC and for Shop HQ and, you know, other uh, lesser costly lines that I've done, you know, around the world and different department stores. Um, so I'm able to do that. It's just that I'm, that's going to be my, my focus when I actually get back and we finally reopen to do that. I was going to say so. To in this time that we're, we're going through. So that's what you're going to work on as soon as you get back. I think so, because I think that's the only thing I'm going to really be able to sell, unless it's for a commercial or for or a movie. There, I mean, I just did, uh, you know, Shania's new Vegas show. I did most of the costumes for that. And then there's a, a Whitney Houston hologram um, uh, concert thing that they've done. And that also, I think, just opened in Vegas right before COVID. And obviously, it's not open anymore. But it will come back. But I did a lot of the costumes for that, too. So unless I get a project like that, that's sort of the only glamorous things that I can see myself doing. But in the meantime, in order to make money, I'm going to have to do those everyday, wearable, comfortable, but well-made and beautiful fabrics, you know, beautifully cut. I think that's, that's the only thing to do. I think that's smart. Are you going to try to do masks at all, too, or...? Well, I've been doing a lot of masks. They're very decorative. I mean, when, when the whole thing happened with, you know, the shortage of masks, I immediately went down to my studio and I made prototypes and, you know, we got in touch with Cuomo and all of that. And, you know, it, it was a matter of getting the fabric to me and then getting it manufactured in masks. But I did make as much as we could in, in the beginning and try to get them to the right people. Um, but then, you know, suddenly everybody was making masks. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to do decorative masks. That makes sense. And then what about, you know, like Fashion Week, obviously, is not. Well, you know, Fashion Week sort of stopped being fascinating for me years ago. I was the first designer in, in America, I'm not sure in the world, but in America, definitely, who did a virtual fashion show during Fashion Week. And, you know, like Women's Were Daily, thought it was so out of the box that they refused to cover it. But what we did, we thought, okay, well, instead of having the show where we have, you know, all these people crammed into a room and everybody is fighting for a seat and you, this one is not as upset because she's not in the front row and this one is in the back row and she's supposed to be in the front row. And, you know, and it's, you know, it's $150,000 spent in 10 minutes and you're lucky if you get, you know, a couple of pictures here and there. What does that really mean? Why are we spending that kind of money to get our point of view across? Why don't we embrace social media? And that was just right before Instagram started. We thought, okay, we'll just put it online. We'll, you know, we'll 
put it on Facebook, whatever, but we'll get a message out there and we can say, well, the Mark Bauer collection is available. You can watch it in your bathtub. All you have to do is to download the link and click it and there you'll see it. Or maybe you're waiting for a show to start. You can look at it. And now that has become a very acceptable norm in the fashion world. Everyone's doing digital content and doing online fashion shows. But I was the first American designer to do that. Wow. So I, you know, I love fashion. I love going to fashion shows. I don't particularly like doing them myself. It's like a roller coaster ride that you can't get off and your stomach is churning and models sometimes put dresses on backwards. Um, you know, they can't find the shoes or they put the wrong, the black dress, they put black shoes on with a, you know, with a white wedding gown. And it's like just all the stuff. And then, when, you know, when I see the show afterwards, I see so much in my head that I find wrong with it. So, um, I just wanted to get away from that. And I think you can get your point across by doing something virtual and putting it on social media. Yeah, I mean, show last year. talk about your show last year. At the oh, yeah, so, so, la so I haven't done a big fashion show um, in a while. I mean, I do big fashion shows for charitable events for, you know, I'm, I'm very involved with animals and uh, animal rights, but, you know, veganism and all that. So if I find the right charity, um, I will do, I will do a big fashion show, and that's exciting. And, and I, people that are watching it are really appreciating appreciating it, and they want it as entertainment value, not just you know the you know models with Daryl faces just walking up and down. That's it. This is a really exciting show, and those are the shows that I do love to do. But um, I did a show uh, not last fashion, but I think the one before, where I decided that I would have all the models come with their hair in you know, rollers or pins, and they would walk onto the set and photographers would be shooting them and I would be there as a designer fixing them and the hairstylist would be taking out their hair and um, the makeup artist would be touching their makeup and I'd be pulling their skirts down and fixing the straps. And we did the whole fashion show like that. And we just sort of, and then I kind of like had the girls play in front of the camera and took a little bow after every one or two dresses and had them whirl around, we had dance music, I danced with them, the girls danced with each other, we had them sitting down, um, throwing their hair around, and, and we kept, kept it moving, so the girls were kept being replaced. Um, and that was really fun, and it was kind of an interactive you know, audience, taking all their selfies and whatever, but they could really see what it's like behind the scenes of a designer shooting his collection for or during Fashion Week, and you really see how it actually happens. That makes sense. And like, to your point on social media, like your Instagram is, I mean, I looked at it before this, like it's representative of everything you're kind of doing. Thank you. Yeah. I'm very privileged to have worked with some really great people. Um, and sometimes I just have to like sit back and say, um, it's okay. You're, you're, you're doing okay. You know, you've, you've, you've done a lot. It's okay. Do you not like the business aspect of it? Because, you know, like sometimes like the creative brain and the business brain don't go together. A lot of people don't have like both per se. Like all of this, like shipping the dresses, where are they, getting them back, who's paying? Like you just... Well, I, don't, I, I think any creative person doesn't like the business aspect of, of any business that they're in. But you have to understand it. You have to be aware of it and know that it's absolutely important because if you don't sell, you're, you're real kind of pretty much worthless, you know, but, 
you've got to make clothes that function in a real world, clothes that people want to buy. Because, and then there's a satisfaction in that, that you're actually making clothes that people are wearing and you're paying your rent and you're creating some kind of um, name for yourself. Where do you see the fashion industry going? Like what trends, like where did you see COVID changing the fashion industry permanently? Well, yeah, like I said, I think what we're going to be focused on is sort of minimal clothing. I think there'll be a return to minimalism because we've been so sort of sucker punched with this, this plague. I don't think anybody wants to go out and celebrate anything right now. So I think the, the, the simplicity of dressing minimalism is definitely going to make a return because there's been so much exuberance in fashion, so much extravagance, uh, excitement, um, that I think that is going to be, Tamed has been tamed by COVID, but it will show up in fashion because everything that happens in the world is reflected in fashion. So I think we're going to go through this period of quiet minimalism, but then once we come to grips with what's happening in the world and we learn to live within that world, the new world that has been created, then we will start to branch out into more extravagant things again. But I think right now it's definitely a return to minimalism. I think that makes sense. Anything else that we haven't covered, anything you want to cover? I always like to give people like, what have I not touched upon here today? I think you've touched on a lot of things. I can't think of anything that, um, that you haven't, but if you do, you can always call me back. I know where to find you. What are you, what are you and your husband doing like further? Are you going to stay in New York for the next month or so during COVID or like, what are you guys planning on doing? Well, we've been doing a lot of in-house home repairs and we've just been doing the, redoing the floor, which has been, I have like all this concrete in my fingernails and uh, paint and stuff. So home improvement is a big thing. Um, I'm actually gonna go out to Fire Island with my dear friend Marcus who just arrived. I'm gonna go out, he has a house there for a month, so I'm gonna spend some time with him there. Hello. And um, I'm just gonna catch up and have fun for a while. Yeah, That's I'm good. And then my husband will join us in a couple of days. Yeah. That's nice. Go out a few days before the husband. I get it. <laughs> well, he has to work. He has. He has. He's finally his. He has his job again. So um, that's good. Which is good. Yeah, because we need the money. That's good. That's good. Listen, New York is not getting any cheaper. Everyone is like, I'm like, it's not. Doesn't work that way in New York. Well, I really appreciate you taking all your time. This has been amazing. We will keep in touch. Uh, I am your neighbor. I live right down the street, basically, so you have to keep in touch with me. We will. We'll have a drink on my roof sometime. We will have a drink. And I have a roof here, too, so we can have a drink on your roof or on my roof. As long as it's a drink, I just need, I just need some vodka. We'll stay some six Come feet apart. Down, I know, I know how to pour six feet <laughs> apart. I, I'm a, a champ at that. I'll wear a nice mask, I promise. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. And keep in touch, for real. You, you are, like, amazing. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You too. Take care. You too. Stay well. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going 
And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.